0: Welcome back, everyone. I am here with Steve Bassett, the Executive Director of the Paradigm Research Group. Steve, welcome. Would you be with you? Okay, just really quickly, if you can just give listeners and watchers a quick, brief background of who you are and what you do, and then we can get into the meat.
1: I'm a political activist involved in a somewhat unusual issue, and that is the government policy towards the phenomena that for years was called UFOs, now is appropriately much more called UAPs, but that's just front end. The back end of the issue is that this phenomenon is not human. It's uh, controlled or piloted by non-human intelligence from almost certainly other planets. We call it the extraterrestrial presence. So issues go, that's quite an issue. And that's what I've been gauging now for about 25 years. And the reason I'm doing it as an activist is because the science or the, the evidence confirming this rather extraordinary fact that we are not alone in the universe and we're being visited has been embargoed by the U.S. government under national security policy since it was formulated between July 47 and January of 53. I say formulated, it was kind of underway. The embargo was underway, but the embargo sort of got formulated and formalized rather right after the 52 events of July. And so it's a political policy. right? It's not a matter of science that you're not allowed to go and hold picnics at our ICBM flight facilities. right? Okay, those are classified and they're screened off and what have you. You can't do that. That's a politics. It's not the politics of what you can or cannot do legally in the United States. And so the policy to embargo the ET reality is a political policy for national security reasons. And that's why it can't get resolved. So people do research and they fill up books and they make thousands of reports to public, to organizations like NonCap and MUFON, first-hand encounters, scientific analysis. It doesn't matter. You could pile that up to the moon, and the government would simply have said, what's the point? What are you talking about? Which is a complete distortion of reality. Right. And so it has to have a political solution. And that's what I have been working on, pretty much as an independent activist, but building up a fairly nice network. Thank God for social media, and thank God for democratization of journalism and great camera equipment and sound equipment so that everybody can now be Dan Rather or sort of do their own version of 60 Minutes. And the goal of this political activism, what I call a movement, is the end of this political policy of, dis- of embargo. And there's only one way that it can end. Right? In other words, that is for the President of the United States to confirm this non-human intelligence. Yeah, now, based on your nobody else can Now, based
0: now, based on your
1: discussions and just network
0: in Washington and beyond, how many people do you actually think are in the know?
1: Well, the, the, you know, think of a, a group of nested circles. Okay? in the widest circle, the biggest circle, mm-hmm. is everyone in the world who is aware that there is a phenomenon? That there is actually something going on, right?
0: Right. Not what officially, that, but people—people people who've interacted with something or had some sort of experience. No, 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 like no, no, that. no, no. That's not what I'm oh. saying. No, 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 no,
1: no. Everybody in the world who is aware, one or another, there, there's, there's a phenomenon going on you, 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 because mm-hmm. it's in the news or they read it in whatever. Right. It's probably ninety-five percent of the world's people. We're talking about seven to seven to seven and a half billion people. Okay, that's yeah. the biggest circle. Inside that circle, all right, would be the circle of people who have developed a position about it. That is to where they've actually thought about it enough to have a position or have a feeling about it one way or the other. That's a pretty big number too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm going to guess it. it could be three billion. All right, but it's probably less because as you get into the less developed world people have have just way too much else to worry about besides complicated questions like this or issues like this. I just need to survive from day to day. But it's a big number. Now, within that number are three groups, one that are convinced this phenomenon is non-human, ones that are convinced it is not, but it's real, and others that are on the fence. And then as you move down to the the next circle of people. How big is that? Well, let's start with the the circle of people that are convinced that uh, it is definitely real. Then you have, I guess the next logical one would be the circle of individuals that are involved in key institutions, Mm -hmm. politics, science, and journalism group of people within those key institutions that are aware that this phenomena is real and not human. That's the key number. It is way bigger than people would imagine. It is a substantial number. And it's made up of individuals who are either directly involved with dealing with this issue. I mean, it's their job
0: Mm -hmm.
1: or are somewhat connected to those people, but not directly involved, but as a result have figured it out or been tipped off. People that have just been tipped off, right? Journalists tipped off, m- members of Congress tipped off, staff, other scientists tipped off pro- simply because they have connections. They know people, they're high level. And someone at a cocktail party just chatting it up after a couple of drinks and says, you do know, doctor, that the et thing is real, and we've been working on it now for, for years. Can't comment. Can't say anything else. But yeah, and this also includes individuals in politics, and science, and government who actually have read some of the, the 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 books and works and reports of the citizen science activist movement. They've read Stanton Friedman. They've read Richard Dolan. They've read a lot of these things. There's nothing illegal about that. I I, I have you know encountered a couple of quote, government people, including some government scientists that have huge UFO libraries in their basement that they don't publicize. So, yeah, they've read the stuff. If you read what the citizen science journalists and and researchers have done, it proves the case. There's more than enough. They did a pretty good job. But it doesn't matter because the issue that they are uh, addressing is embargoed by the government, meaning there's no there there. Whatever's in your book, no matter how good it seems or how logical it is, it doesn't matter. There is no there. It's a government policy. You can't believe your lying eyes, right? Or you don't have a right to know. You don't have a need to know. Go away. Leave us alone. Whatever. So it doesn't matter. But yeah, it's there. And so a lot of people inside government and politics and so forth have, have figured it out that way. Does that mean they're going to do anything, take any actions in legislation, start a science program at, at Harvard, write a huge investigative piece in the New York Times? No, no, not at all. And so over the years, the number of people within government and institutions themselves has been growing every single year. But what hasn't grown until recently is the number of people in that group that are willing to hold their hand up and go, excuse me, but I'm pretty sure this is not human technology. No, the truth embargo has been very effective. It has, in many ways, which we could spend a lot of time describing, made it ill-advised for Professor so-and-so, Representative so-and-so undersecretary to the undersecretary to the undersecretary of the director of whatever, right, to hold their hand up and say anything, because there would be consequences. And that includes journalists, editors, publishers, consequences. Everyone was under a certain set of limitations. You see this in all authoritarian governments more starkly. If you look at mm-hmm. the authoritarian regimes in our world today, and we have quite a few r- running the gamut from North Korea, which is probably the most restrictive society on the planet, on the way down. And if you look at them, you see how all the various ways that people are restricted, right? You can't do this, you can't do that, you can't say this, right? Many there's Now, some of them shocked at that. Everybody understands that, and they're very proud that the United States is not North Korea, <laughs> or a number of other countries where you can get in real trouble simply by formulating an opinion. The problem, though, is the United States was founded on certain constitutional principles, a set of moral understandings, which we were very proud of, and we believe is our heritage. And this embargo is violating them, not just one time, because there's a lot of one-time instances where the U.S. has gone and done something really awful. but It's systematic. All the time, every day, for 76 years, basically. And you're violating that, all on the basis of national security. And that's one of the great risks of the modern era, and the huge threat of annihilation and global wars and everything else, that has manifested itself in human society. National security is an excuse for everything and everything. It's an excuse for war, it's an excuse for for creating ghettos, it's an excuse for this policy and that policy and this much secrecy and special access programs or whatever the hell government wants to do. As long as they make it national security, they can do it. And unless they're contained, restrained by either legislation or strong pushback from the citizens, they will do it. So what is going on now is the end of what amounts to a 76 year era in human history where the most profound information, the human race collectively will probably learn certainly in our lifetime, if not the next 20 lifetimes, which may have been known to people in ancient times. Very possible. And it would have been kind of profound, right? Though they, they would have so little understanding of it that it, it would be fairly simplistic. Oh, my God. you know, Oh, the, the, there's these entities. They have extraordinary abilities. They're gods. Make them a god, worship them, whatever. Now, we are a fully global society. Right with high levels of education and technology and, and a huge communication ability. And so for us as a global society, not some ancient Egyptians, 2000 BC, for us to learn that we're not alone will be a profound event on a level never seen before. We are in the end days of that. And that means the end days of ending the truth embargo. And the only way that can happen is by... A statement from the president, not from the Secretary of Defense, not from a, the publisher of the New York Times, not from a Edward Snowden type quote whistleblower. No, mm-hmm. that would be meaningless. I could say it, it would be meaningless. It would be like somebody raising their hand and saying, I decree that the war in the Ukraine ends. And people go, What? Who, who cares? That war is only going to end because of an understanding between the heads of state of two countries, one way or another, by decisions by those heads of state, not by some low-level colonel or a journalist. Only one person can end the truth embargo. In this case, some political issues can be ended in the legislature, formally ended in the legislature. That can be the case, but there are some that can only be ended one way. It has to be from the President of the United States and not signing a bill, right, meaning the the U.S. Congress legislates that the truth embargo is over and there's an extraterrestrial presence, and then the President signs that bill. Now, this is a national security issue, and it will have to be resolved from words from the Commander-in-Chief of the United States Military and Intelligence Services the man who runs our national security, period. The top guy, the top woman, right? At this point, it's a guy. He has to make the statement. And so that is where all of this is heading. And when it happens is when I will have achieved the fundamental goal, helped achieve the fundamental goal that I set out to do uh, 26 years ago.
0: Now, why have they kept this quiet for so long? What was the impetus for that?
1: I can speculate on clear reasons. National security. National security. It wasn't evil. It wasn't collusion. It wasn't some whatever. Now, the granular reasons uh, would have varied from person to person, from agency, military service. They They all may have had somewhat different takes on the national security basis. But ultimately, it all came under the same basket, national security. U.S. government, as of 47, made a decision. And that decision, in a sense, was informally cast the moment that President Truman sent an order, and we don't have a record of this, but I'm pretty much sure that's what happened, to General Roger Ramey, all right, undo that press release, and fast. It had come out that morning. It was already getting reprinted. You fix that press release right now. And he did. He held another press conference. He he created some phony package. He brought in Jesse Marcel (laughs) Sr. And then the the next day, he had a new article that said uh, the saucer was emptied. And that's it. That was the informal beginning of that. And he did it because almost certainly Truman would have known the Soviets had their spies in the U.S. And they had already gotten a, a substantial amount of what we knew about the atomic weapons program, both atom bombs and hydrogen bombs. Truman knew that they had their own thousands of paperclip scientists, many of which were missile scientists from Germany. We got ours. They got theirs. I remember they got there first. And they're already working on it. Right? You know, they, and, and they have less compunction than we are telling their new Nazi scientists, you build us some rockets and you build them now. And that they fully intended to do what we intended to do, was if we can build missiles, really good missiles, we're going to put nuclear weapons on them as a matter of defense of the United States. And so he knew, even before the first missile was built and a weapon put on it, or a nuclear weapon put on it, exactly where things were going to go, he was a smart man. And so did the key people in the military. They already knew that the ideological breach between the Soviet Union and the United States was probably irrevocable. The way the war ended, the way it was handled at that point, with generals like Patton and LeMay wanting to immediately take the Soviet Union on. LeMay wanted to nuke it. Patton wanted to take 10,000 tanks into it and just kill it before it got fully born or or before it could get any stronger because it was weak after losing 20-some million people and being decimated by the Nazis. The Soviets knew that. I mean, the Soviets knew. Our generals were saying things like So, no. No, the ideological divide was already an iron curtain by the time Truman had to make that decision. And so it was, look, I'm dealing with this. we we got to somehow avoid a World War III or maybe even a, a new conventional war, if we're stupid enough to start that this soon after World War II. Now I've got what? I've got dead bodies from another planet. i got a crash vehicle that's made by technology we don't have. Yeah, sure, I'm going to announce that to the world. Oh, yeah, look what we have. No. Classified. Yeah. Get it. Especially a paranoia-driven exactly. world at that time, after well, having survived a war. Par- right? Actually, we're far more paranoid now. After World War II, there was enormous relief. People were celebrating Men, women kissing in the streets who didn't even know each other, right? We defeated the Nazis. America was now becoming an economic power. There was an opportunity to let's don't have any more world wars. No, it wasn't that paranoid. But nevertheless, it, the national security concerns were obvious. And mm-hmm. so it says this is, this is classified. The wreckage is going to be classified. And we're going to set up a classified group to deal with it, which I'm pretty sure was Majestic 12. And we're going to work on this and see where it takes us. What the hell is this? What's going on? How many other of these things are flying around? And we're going to assess it. And at some time, down the line, we could perhaps provide information about this to the American people. That was the decision that was made, structured and formulated between July 47 and early 53. Now, the reason the truth embargo is still in place, right? 70 years later, and I'm having to do my thing, and my colleagues are having to do their thing, and all this stuff is going on, is because their concern, their fear, that was helping to formulate that policy was correct. What happened is that the human race Primarily, two major ideological powers, the United States and its allies, and the Soviet Union and its allies, and a bunch of other countries that were really not allies of either one, but are basically just sitting there shaking in their boots going, oh God, what's going to happen to all of us? One about doing something that in retrospect is still hard to grasp.
0: They went ahead
1: and spent trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars adjusted for inflation 2023, building vast arsenal of nuclear weapons and nuclear weapon delivering systems, just to a degree that it's staggering. It's staggering. The nuclear bombers. Great, right? The nuclear missiles, many different kinds, great. Nuclear submarines, right, which are really expensive, all right, Mm -hmm. as well as using conventional weapons to try to get as much control over various fields of commands and what have you. Setting up bases all over the world, that was primarily the United States, that was one of our things. I mean, we have more bases than all the rest of the countries combined untold trillions of dollars building what we came to call the nuclear arms race or the Cold War. Except it wasn't cold because under the umbrella of the nuclear threat of what came to be called mutual assured destruction, that's literally the policy of the human race, the (laughs) fundamental policy of the human race is mutual assured destruction, meaning everybody understands that we have tens of thousands of these weapons But we can't use them because if we did, it would destroy everything. And since it would destroy everything, we won't use them unless it happens accidentally. That's Mm -hmm. our policy. That's beyond crazy. I think even the craziest of the ancient emperors and what have you that concocted up all kinds of ways to invade and take over, you know, whether it's. Alexander cruising his way all across continents, slaughtering everything in order to create an empire that couldn't possibly last. Whatever. This is crazier than any of that.
0: Well, they, they created happened. they created an entirely new science to justify it, which is game theory.
1: Whatever we have, game you know, new yeah. theories, supercomputers, new science, every single thing that we could convert that the involving technological reality of the 20th century brought us. Everything we had, one way or another, if we could, we were going to weaponize it. We weaponized everything. Those untold trillions of dollars could have made this planet a paradise. Enough funds to have established the infrastructure to provide food and clothing and shelter and reasonably comfortable lives to every living person on the planet. Instead, we created an umbrella of fear that every one of these people, as they slowly either you know starve to death or get diseases that could have been avoided or just live in, under poverty and fear, have to live under every single day. That's what has happened in the last 75 years. And when I say things like this, it, it's Steve doing his thing, which is a little weird. Steve pretending he's an extraterrestrial, right, from another civilization, run better than ours. Cruising around in some fine anti gravity craft with some great technology, just keeping tabs on everything and kind of taking the big picture view of what's going on down there. That's me doing that. And when you get in that extraterrestrial's head and you look down from there and you have the ability to survey it, that's what you see. Utter friggin' insanity. So that's the political issues that are involved here. And so that's. An answer to your question, why? That's the why, right? They envisioned, they saw that insanity coming in one degree or another. And they calculated that we have got so much uncertainty and so much to worry about. Trying to then deal with a fully acknowledged truth that there's civilizations out there are more advanced than ours. Several of them are visiting us. We don't know what their intentions are. They've got tech well beyond ours. They could destroy us at any time, right? In other words, they they were worried about the the, the Soviet Union destroying the United States. Well, yeah, the Soviet Union could have done that. But I I have enough sense of the ET technologies and the ET tech's ability and what what it means to be interstellar to know that they, they could have done it they could have destroyed the United States or the entire planet or the civilization that we have without even breaking a sweat and for mm-hmm. a lot less money, right? It would have been a trivial thing. It would have been like, you're gone, right? So they technically were a much bigger threat than the Soviet threat, but obviously much less known. They, could, they, had, they knew less about it. We had spies all over the Soviet Union trying to find out what's going on. Every spying on each other, keeping tabs. We didn't have any spies in the extraterrestrial world. We didn't have any spies on their home planets kind of find out what's going on. We, we didn't know what the hell it was so they were going to do. So they said, look, we're going to classify this. And we're not going to bring it forward until it's safe. Well, it it was never safe. And to some degree, it's not safe now, but not quite. The reason it's safe. Now, even though the threat of nuclear war is greater than it's ever been, which is the concern that they had back in 47 to 52, right? You should say, well, that's the same concern, then it's probably still not safe, and we can't mm-hmm. bring it out, except for one thing. Over that 75 years, so much was learned about the ET reality. So much awareness of it is has grown to the point where, in a way, everybody knows, or at least so many people know, that it, it's, you know, they it's, it's, I mean, know, right? It's really not a secret anymore. Some of the details may be a secret, but the overall factor in being visited is not a secret anymore. And so what was a logical, perhaps national security maneuver in 52, is not so obviously advantageous now. Because the situation now is this. The risk of nuclear war is still great. But the benefit of the truth embargo has been lost. And, and not only that, it's it's now a problem. Mm-hmm. The truth embargo is now also a threat to national security. Why? Because the gap between what the government has been willing to admit to, which is basically nothing, and the gap between what the human race knows is now so great that it is virtually eating away at the social contracts of nations. In other words, everybody is waking up every day and reminded in one way or another, the government's lying to me. The government is incessantly lying to me. The government can't be trusted. They surveil us, they manipulate us, they control us, they lie to us. They're even lying to us about the most important, probably piece of information in the world. And so the truth in embargo, Mar- 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 is now undermining trust in government. And by doing that, it's destabilizing countries to one degree or another, particularly the United States. And Mm -hmm. that destabilization is adding to the risk of nuclear war. So in other words, the cost-benefit analysis has shifted from it's best that we maintain an embargo on this issue, classify it, because the potential loss is too great, to now the potential damage from not revealing it is now too great. And so on that simplistic basis alone, we need to get disclosure from the U.S. president.
0: What do you think, or to what degree do you think they're going to disclose?
1: Well, this is a somewhat confusion that I've helped create. I chose back in the early aughts, to use the word disclosure to signify something. And that was the, the prize of the activist movement. The term disclosure was already in play. It had been used by a number of, of people. that were kind of talking about this issue, but they were using it primarily in, the, primarily in the concept of revelation revealing. In other words, the disclosure process, small d. And so when Stanton Friedman writes a book, Don Schmidt writes a book, Stephen Greer holds a press conference at the National Press Club. It was part of getting information out, a revealing process, a small-d disclosure process. But as an activist, we needed something else. An activist movement has got to have a goal, a, a defined goal that's clear. It can't be nebulous, right? So there's activists right. out there that they say, you know, what, what, are you, what are you? I'm an activist. What do you want? I want peace on earth. I'm working for peace on earth. Well, great, but it, it's just too nebulous. It's just not defined enough that people don't yeah, how do you it? You get it, right? Because most people yeah. go, well, that's a great goal. Maybe in 10,000 years, we'll have that. So if you're going to get something done in the here and now, it's got to be defined. It's got to be definable and reachable. And so I said... Let's take the the small d-disclosure word and make it capital D-disclosure. Let's make it a noun, a proper noun, a name of something. What, What is the name of? It is the name of the confirmation event that ends the truth embargo. Right? So, and that confirmation event is defined as the confirmation coming from the President of the United States of an extraterrestrial president. It's not the revealing or the opening up of every unacknowledged special access program, dumping the files out, bringing everybody out. No, no, no. That's more small D disclosure, right? The capital D disclosure is the formal end of the truth embargo. Meaning, yes, there are ETs here. And it could be that little. It could be that short. I mean, the president could just walk out in front of a bunch of uh, reporters and say, yes, there's extraterrestrials here. Turn around, go back to the old office. Now, obviously that would not go down very well, but that would be disclosure. Nope. <laughs> All right. So capital D disclosure is what we're talking about. So when you ask me, what do you think this is going to be disclosed? That's a different question. All right. The goal of this movement is the confirmation of the ET presence. Now, the secondary goal of the movement, which is kind of also underway i mean there's always been a small d disclosure movement in a sense tell us this acknowledge this give me this file give me that whatever and it's been like running through quicksand because the government's embargoed it they make it a hundred times more difficult to get anything done or impossible to get it done you Mm -hmm. want a document you can't have it you you come up with the collusion it's bogus The government will undermine it. So it it is simply made the small D disclosure very, very tough. And as a result, wasted a lot of people's time. In other words, that's true of all disclosure movements. You, you, You want justice? Okay. All right, fine. And you should have that justice under the laws of the nation. And some other authority says, no, you can't have that justice. And so you spend 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and you finally get that justice, which you could have had on day one. And so in a way, it's kind of wasting people's lives to get something they should have had in the first place. But, you know, that's life. That's the way it is. Okay, right. So, you know, once you accept that, that's the way life is to one degree or another and has been for the ages and you live with it, you accept it. All right. And so the moment the president finally confirms the extraterrestrial presence, we're no longer running in quicksand. We're no longer in a rigged game. The entire world knows the ET presence is real. The classified programs are real. The classified files exist, right? Right. That technology re-engineering is real. It's all now acknowledged. And what now is the question of how much are the governments of the world willing to tell their citizens? And how soon? There's no more, I don't know what you're talking about. Go away, Ray, please. All right. And so guess what? Things are going to speed up. And not simply because we've acknowledged it, and, and and people now know. There will be a lot of very substantial institutions particularly journalistic institutions and scientific institutions and political entities who have power and resources and money that are all going to be directing their attention at the government and saying, okay, we need to know this, 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 and this. And we expect your cooperation. It's no longer a citizen's movement. It is a full-fledged societal and an institutional movement. And the government is just not going to be able to hold that off. And so very quickly, a a great deal of information that legitimately should be out in the public domain is going to get out in the public domain. And as you get down to the most difficult areas in terms of national security, there'll be some pushback. And may, maybe a couple of years or two or three into what I call the post disclosure world, there will still be a certain amount of still classified stuff regarding this issue. And by and large, there will be still still be some entities that still want it, that want it. But the overall satisfaction within American society and, and perhaps Russian society and China society. Will be that, okay, look, we'll get you that. We'll let you have that. You have provided enormous amount of information, and we've learned so much, and we're now able to, to take that knowledge and deal with it and address it and rethink our world or whatever you know you do when you get profound new knowledge, right? Okay. And that's probably where we'll be. But I assure you, the amount of information we're going to learn and the amount of ways we're going to address it and deal with it will keep us quite busy during those first two or three years it will be an extraordinary time and it can't come too soon i've I've waited 26 years for that time and to be able to be part of it and participate in it an enormous gift to any person alive post-disclosure because the the years post-disclosure will be extraordinary beyond anything anybody in any previous lifetime. And I think I read recently that the total number of people that have been alive on this planet, the sentient people now, homo sapiens, sapiens, something like, I don't know, 13 billion or something. It's like a lot like that. So hmm. in terms of previous lifetimes, people alive at post exposure in those first couple of years will be involved in something and see something and be part of something unprecedented and no the humans have ever seen. And that, how could it get better than that? Right? I mean, who could ask for more than that? Right? To be alive and be able to experience that. Some people say, "Oh no, I was alive when the Wright brothers had their first flight. Oh wow, that was cool, and I saw the the planes getting better and better. It's kind of cool. This is ten
0: thousand times more cool." You think, as part of a disclosure event, it will be revealed that there are official ties between global governments and? wherever these entities come from?
1: Yes. On the list of the top 25 or whatever difficult questions that might have to be answered, that's one of them. I think it's in the top five.
0: Because there are implications to that one.
1: Yeah. I mean, in terms of difficult questions, right? "Ah, Mr. President, (laughs) has there been formal... Engagement between the United States government and extraterrestrials of any civilization, and by formal I don't mean we, you know, we had an ET that we waterboarded to get information or whatever. It's, they did get a live ET at, 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 at Roswell, and they may have gotten a couple of more. That's not what we're. That's not the question. The question is: is there diplomatic or any kind of relations formal out there? If the answer is yes, you can imagine that that's going to be viewed with a certain irritation and oh and, we'll get into the
0: implications in the next episode because there uh, are there uh, are many
1: and so that's a toughie right and i'm sure there'll be plenty of people in government that go we're going to be going look if we get you know mr president if you can answer that question just say no just say no right just say no just lie it's okay and that is not going to go well for them And I think that they know this. I mean, certainly there's a lot of people besides just me reminding them of this. But after disclosure, after we understand the truth embargo, any further attempts to play those games is not going to go well in an era when 13-year-olds have more journalistic technology available to them than just about any journalist prior to 1990 or 80. I mean, the ability... To probe and sus and, and, and pressure and network is beyond comprehension. And so, you know, it's not, you know, it, it, and technically is sufficiently motivated right now. The world is filled with hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Woodwards and Bernsteins in a way, right? Capable of probing and looking and finding stuff out that Woodward and Bernstein would probably an envied. It just isn't focused. But when when it gets focused, right, and you want to play that game, so you just come out and say, no, 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 we have no formal relationships. We've never had any formal relationships. And the next thing you know, four or five people that know the truth tell somebody in a podcast, goes around the world in 20 minutes. They're being interviewed on somebody else's podcast. Then the story turns up the New York Times, and the president has just been nailed probably within a week or less. To be a bold faced liar on that issue. And right away, you're back in hot water again. Okay, you're in deep crook trouble. And so I'm hoping that there's enough people within our fine institutions to understand that when you've ended the biggest lie of all time, you better start getting in the truth business. The answer should be I cannot discuss that particular question now, but we will revisit it exactly. in the future. Or another question may allow you to say, look, that is a core secret right now. Until we can declassify that information, I can't talk to you. But, oh, no, 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 no. No, there's nothing to that. That's going to go up in flames, right? In, In other words, there's already, without the degree of focus that I'm referring to, there's already so much happening that is making the government look like idiots. I mean, after the ATIP program was announced and certain people came forward, there was a lot of confusion. Some of it was created by the people that came forward. Some of it was created by some awkward journalism, but some of it was created by stupid stuff from the Pentagon. And so the ATIP program was not really a formal program. It was a nickname for a program that had started earlier, OSAP, whatever, doesn't matter. Anyway, so immediately some journalists rushed over and others rushed over and tried to get the, the Pentagon's public relations office, and Susan Gow is having to make this statement and that statement, and they're bull- bullshit. I mean, just, they had it all wrong. You know, it's confused they did and get it right. Because they just weren't prepared. And I understand that. It's okay. And there's been a lot of that. There's been a certain amount of that. And that's a limited amount of focus we're talking about. New York Times writes a story. People are going, hmm, let's call up the, you know, the degree of focus of the entire journalistic world, which is in the business of breaking huge stories, getting enormously cool information out to people so that people will subscribe to them and they can make money and pay their bills. The focus on the government and any other appropriately related institutions by the entire journalistic world at every level from the very top all the way down to podcasters working out of their basements, is going to be like a laser Literally, the whole world is going to be focused in on every word that comes out of the mouth of the president and the secretary of defense and the head of national security and the Academy of Sciences and everybody and professors at Harvard and people who run SETI. Every single word that comes out of their mouth, they're going to be laser focused on. And they had better be in the truth business or they are going to get barbecued.
0: I think you're remarkably optimistic about journalists today. I've seen multiple stories in the last year alone where they've been remarkably incurious.
1: <laughs> no, 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 I'm talking about, you know, I'm yeah. saying, yeah. but believe me, if you review the journalism going back 70 years, the degree of journalistic engagement is at another level well, entirely. Now, and yeah. once again, I'm going to promote something, which I do relentlessly, <laughs> which is a resource. I need to find a better way to promote this. but I'm getting better at it. And that is this. For those that are going, well, you know, how have journalists treated this issue and so forth and so forth? Paradigm Research Group is my website, ParadigmResearchGroup.org. And I'll and, put it down in the description and, below. And, and, I, and I bet you there's a link on your podcast page or whatever. Click it. Go to the site. All right. In the menu on the right, resources. Hover. A menu drops down, slide down until you get to print media archive, click on print media archive, you get a flash page with some information, click through to the archive itself. And when you get there, what you will find are 13,000 links to news articles about UAP and related phenomena. A certain percentage are dead links now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But the majority of those dead links are fixable because I saved the pages. <laughs> but I have to go back and I have to convert the link from the original journalistic link to the link on my server. And I'm going to do that one of these days. <laughs> unless I come into some serious money, and I'm going to hire an intern to do it, <laughs> right? But nevertheless, 13,000. Since December of 2016, which is now, amazingly enough, even. December no, Seven years? Know, December 16, December 17, which is now approaching six years, I can't believe it's been that long, I have logged in 4,000 articles, nearly 4,000 articles in just those five years, right, roughly five and a half years. And the majority, the vast majority of those articles are focusing in on the developments that have been happening in the Congress and in uh, the politics and so forth. The whole back and forth Michigash that got got going because of the events of, t- of 2017 when the New York Times articles came out and the ATIP or the ATIP the, uh, to the stars group emerged with their project and their effort to move things forward. 4,000 articles. If you were to read those 4,000 articles, which are triaged from even more thousands of articles, in other words, the total number of things being written on the subject is just huge. But you've got, you know, small little publications, fringe stuff, websites, blogs, whatever. And that stuff is also achievable. It it is coming to me through my alerts, through the way I I monitor the media. It's coming to me, but I, I can't put that up. I'm triaging the mainstream best stuff from reasonably mainstream publications, right? So the total amount is 4,000. If you were to read all 4,000 of the articles, you would have one hell of an understanding of how the media has dealt with this. And you would see it literally evolving towards more and more sophistication, more and more serious. In those five years, the skepticism virtually disappeared. It only turns up once in a while when somebody decides, hey, this would be a good day to make a complete fool of myself. So I'm mm-hmm. going to write a hit piece on this subject, you know, a skeptical debunker, heart hitting thing that shows ah, it's swamp yes, gas, right? Yeah. Right. And it's not going to not going to work well for them. It's not going to age well. And if I'm, they're going to have to answer, you know, you know, pretend I wasn't I didn't write that. No, that was somebody with my name. It wasn't really me. I didn't write that article. The skepticism is gone. Right. And so, the, the people—it's hard to see that because who in hell has time to even log in four thousand articles, and read four thousand articles? But it's there, particularly for journalists. If you're a journalist and you're thinking, to how do I get my mind around all this? What's been written?" What? There they are. Go read them. That'll give you a good platform on which to what to do. And you know, if you really would like to get up to speed get in touch. I'll be happy to give you an interview, right? <laughs> CNN, call anytime, guys, girls, happy to help you there. All right. Not that there aren't other people that they can call and do call, but there's only a limited number of highly experienced activists on this issue. A limited number of them.
0: Oh, you're uh, the first one I contacted. You're the go-to. So,
1: Well, there's more. There's There's more now. I mean, there's activists getting involved. There's no question. You know, MUFON has gone activist on this issue. God bless it. It's been up on the Hill at, at, at meeting with people. So it's now an activist. It's, it has an activist component to its nonprofit existence, which is perfectly legal under the law. There's some other people that have filed as lobbyists. Good. But nobody has been a formal activist on this issue longer than I. And I wish CNN and MSNBC would take notice of that. Thank you very much. I've been on them before. Years ago. Right when it was even more difficult to get on, you know. So I, I, I did some MSN. I mean, now that it's all everything that I told him 20 years ago is now happening. It's like I, you know. So I, I fell out of the Rolodex. I got to get back in their Rolodex, you know. Because no, I'm not a few, getting a few, any younger. A, <laughs> a few
0: more of these, and you'll you'll get on it for sure. That's why I'll do a Let- podcast.
1: You just you call me up. I'm going to do a podcast. I might. <laughs> well, might I appreciate. It. Yeah.
0: Because last question for last question for this episode. Okay, good. Yeah. How would you speculate the timelines
1: going to look like on this disclosure uh, process? Well, uh, based upon my assessment right now, if we have enough time, I'll, I'll mention it now and we can go into greater detail. Let me just provide something for your audience right now. This will be a good endpoint because this just came into my pr- uh, possession yesterday. Oh right? wow. Put your seatbelt on. Hang on a second. Are you seeing
0: this? I yes. certainly am. This is Lloyd a Austin.
1: This is a letter, and the a director of national intelligence. Yep. Yeah. Okay. This is a letter written on April the twenty seventh. This was five days ago. Probably delivered on the twenty eighth. Four days ago. To the secretary of defense Lloyd Austin and the Director of National Intelligence, Admiral Haynes. These are the two highest-level people in the national security structure of the United States, just below the president. All right? And this letter is from Senator Marco Rubio and Senator Warner of the Intelligence Committee. All right? Just a second. Let me scroll. Dear Secretary Austin, Director Haynes, some of you may own the audio, we write with concerns about the slow implementation of the fiscal year 2023 National Defense Authorization Act guidance on the all-domain anomaly resolution office era, which is the final name of the public-facing or uh, cross-agency committee being set up under the legislation from the Congress to deal with UAP phenomena, which means to deal with extraterrestrial intelligence. All right, my words added. The NDAA language strengthens ARO and establishes it as the nation's clearinghouse, an analytic center of gravity. I love the word center of gravity here, the use of the word gravity. For unidentified anomalous phenomena. By the way, there has been a natural migration that is legitimate and appropriate from ufo which is the term of demeanment and ridicule and so forth th- that was built up over the years deliberately by those opposed to the truth to uap unidentified aerial phenomena right mm-hmm. all right but which didn't have the stigma didn't have the disdain attached to it under the the propaganda program of the truth embargo, making it more comfortable for journalists and researchers and others to refer to the phenomena without immediately being attached to that ridicule. Now, we all know this is true. In many areas of life, in religion and race and everything else, there are words you do not use to address it, right? Because if you do, you undermine your credibility, or you suffer some consequences. Those words have been polluted; they have been ruined. Nothing unusual about that. But guess what? It's migrating again, and it's kind of convenient. But it's going from unidentified aero phenomena to unidentified anomalous phenomena, which in a way makes it even more distance from UFO, but still covers the issue. And let's face it: there is a lot more anomalousness. To so this mm-hmm. phenomena than just a big saucer flying around with ETs in it. There's all yeah, it easily cover orbs and other sure. yeah,
0: another paranormal.
1: So a crop circle is not a aerial phenomena. It's on the ground, and it's not even technology in a sense. So, but yeah, does a crop does crop circles come under the anomalous related anomalous phenomenon UAP? Yeah, it does. UATS? How about how about cattle mutilation? Yes, it does. So this is where we're landing finally, and I love it. Okay, unidentified anomalous phenomena UAP to inform both the intelligence community and the U.S. Department of Defense leaders about UAP and to avoid strategic intelligence surprise. The language articulated a series of actions to be undertaken regarding the stand up of the office and information sharing with Congress. Nearly four months after enactment of the FY23 NDAA, we are concerned not to have seen more tangible evidence of the implementation of the act, especially regarding the following provisions. Now, first of all, I read a lot of stuff. I see a lot of things on social media, not just silly stuff, I mean, from serious people. And I have colleagues and others that are giving me their views about how it's a ruse and it's a show and it's not real and it and it going anywhere and it's another drip drip and on and on and on. I understand, I try to be understanding. Read that paragraph. Does anybody who reads that paragraph think this is some sort of a silly game that they're now playing again in order to keep this going? That's dead, friggin' serious stuff. And so please recognize it when you finally are getting what you want. Understand we're winning, for God's sakes, and stop acting like we're losing because you're so used to losing. So now it goes on to sort of list various items the FY23 NDA requires the director to report directly to the Principal Deputy Director of National Intelligence, PDDNI, you know how they love acronyms, and the Deputy Secretary of Defense. Despite assurances that there is a proposed plan to implement this change in reporting and circulation, we have yet to see any final guidance issued. We request that you provide us an update on the proposed plan, including the timeline for issuance of the final guidance. In other words, speed it up, guys. Let's get moving here. We have a plan. We know what we want to do, but we need you involved properly. And then, secondly, the FY23 NDA specified that the Director of National Intelligence (DNI) will appoint a Deputy Director of Arrow from the IC intelligence community. However, to date, the Deputy Director has not been identified. The deputy director is intended to be the focal point for the IC integration and to be fully empowered by the PDDNI to convene the IC on an AP issue. I love it. In other words, when you see this many acronyms, you know, this letter is not directed to the American people. It is directed to right. Austin and Abel Hames right. that know these acronyms in their sleep. Right? We ask that you update us on the timeline. Okay. Number three. The NDA established a secure process for Arrow to interview witnesses. This is a really important sentence. We are pleased with the number of interviews Arrow has conducted, but ask that Congress be regularly informed about the content of the interviews going forward. Why is this so important? What are these interviews about? Why are they interviewing anybody at all? And why, why does Mark, Marco Rubio and Warner care? Because the interviews are the prelude to the hearings. You must interview these people ahead of time. The arrow should do it naturally. But then eventually the, st- the committee staff are going to interview them naturally as well so that they know what to expect, the fundamentally what to expect. And so the members of the committee can ask appropriate questions. This is how it's done. This is the way it should be done. They just tip their hand again. We're pleased that you're doing these interviews, right? Mm -hmm. But don't remember, we need to be informed. Let's translate that. We need to talk to them too. In other words, let us know what you're learning, and then we're going to interview them with that knowledge to to make sure that it corresponds and, and then ask them our own questions. This section simply confirms what I've been saying for months and months and months. They are moving toward congressional hearings with military witnesses. The interviews are already underway, and Warner and Rubio just put out a letter they knew was going to go public saying, yeah, glad you're doing the interviews, folks. Tell us more about it. Number four, NDA also directed Arrow to stand up a secure Mm -hmm. public-facing website. By the way, public-facing is key to all of this. Because if you go and read my op-ed in the the, uh, Roswell Daily Record, which was published just last week, where I give the context of what's going on in a way that no one really has, public facing is what this is about. This is not about learning there's a phenomenon to deal with. It's not about setting up a way to track them. It's not about a way to try to understand what's going on. The government already knows all that and has known all that for 70 years. This is about creating the public-facing version of what the government's been doing all of these years, which is appropriate and wise, because you want to have all that public-facing stuff in play before the president is forced to confirm the E.T. president, not after that confirmation Mm -hmm. comes. And you may say, well, 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 wait a minute. I mean, certainly the president's not going to come forward and confirm an ET presence until all that was done. That's probably true. What if Vladimir Putin was the head of state (laughs) to confirm it before any of that was done? And the president's having to go, oh, wow, Vlad the Impaler has just confirmed the ET presence and provided a whole bunch of information yeah well uh y'all folks uh, yeah that's true uh he's right it's all true and so we're gonna get going and we're gonna create some public facing stuff too how do you think that's gonna play not it's very late well.
0: at that point right. right
1: so public facing is the key phrase in all of this so public facing website in other words right now all of the uh, unacknowledged use apps or unacknowledged special access programs are not public facing okay to outline the secure process for witnesses to come forward with relevant information. Come forward to who? Well, Arrow, but to Congress. To date, we have seen no efforts to communicate the existence of the secure process, which was referred to in that legislation. A very significant thing, which is not a whistleblower protection. It is simply a little safer way for people to come forward with information as witnesses. They are not whistleblowers. And you will not see that reference in any public documents, not by Gillibrand, not by any of them. They don't use that phrase. That's being used by the people on the Web and the journalists who think whistleblower is hot. And, you know, it's a bigger it's a cooler story, you know,
0: and and there may be good reason for them to come forward to Congress, but not to be known by the public. Well, not only that, not to be known by our adversaries, let's say they're working on crash retrieval programs. They'd be a target okay. of Chinese intelligence.
1: Yeah, okay, okay. but but the but the, the language, well, that's always the case. In other words, yeah. there's plenty of ways that people who cannot be known can be approached and be kept secure. This language in the bill was to ensure that people who are not clearly protected from the beginning who are going to be involved in the, the information process cannot be bothered, okay? Because a lot of these witnesses are already publicly known, all right? So anyway, yeah. again, not whistleblowers. We request that you provide us an update on the plan to, to publicize the secure process for witnesses to come forward. In other words, why are they saying that? The, the arrow knows that they're supposed to do that. Why do they need to remind them? Because there's a time frame here they need to get something mm. done and they need to get it done now. So speed it up, guys. We need to move forward. All right. And then the last one. Finally, we have not seen evidence of an Aero strategic communication strategy. Arrow established a Twitter presence in July. I love this. A printer presence in July of 2022, but it's not yet to post anything further despite attracting over 31,000 followers. Senator Warner... And Senator Rubio are upset that Arrow is not developing enough Twitter followers. <laughs> <laughs> In other words, hello, UFO Twitter out there, right? Twitter UFO Twitter knows who I am. I have almost as many Twitter followers as Arrow right now. Now I want to have more, believe me. For God's sakes, anybody listening to this, please follow me on Twitter, Steve Bassett, <laughs> and/or Paradigm Research Group. I need Link will be below. <laughs> follow. And they're saying you you need to increase. Apparently, they're not all that upset with what Elon Musk is doing. And Elon Musk is probably not going to destroy Twitter. He hasn't helped, but whatever. The point is that Twitter's not going away. It has I don't know how many followers. It's, there's a massive number of people on Twitter. And the now, why why would Arrow? Why would, why would Rubio and Warner hair, how many Twitter followers, Arrow has, okay? Because if you're trying to garnish public support and awareness to what you've got planned, you want to get it going. You want to get it out there, all right? You want to build up that public engagement, okay? And they're not doing it fast enough. This highlights the lack of communications and transparency with the public. Again, more emphasis on the public-facing, public-facing, public-facing. It wasn't that long ago when the senators in the role of Rubio, same positions as Rubio and Warner, would have said to you with with regard to this issue, what are you talking about? Tell the public what? Public-facing to what? There's nothing there. There are no extraterrestrials. It's an illusion. Now they're saying we need more public-facing stuff about it. And people are still going, nah, this this is not going to work. I mean, come on, people, for crying out loud. We seek to understand why Arrow has not made use of its social media presence and the future plan for educating the public on the mission of finding Arrow. All right, folks, here's the deal. I have 25,000 Twitter followers and Arrow has 30,000, can we get to 31,000? Can we keep up with Arrow? Let's see what we can do here. Right? <laughs> I want to <laughs> I I I see if I can stay with him, right? Or even if it's only for a short period of time, can I get past Arrow's Twitter presence just for a couple of days? Today. Yeah, just subscribe. click on the link below and you click can find below. Go to my site or, or or just go to Twitter. It's 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 yeah. Steve ba- at Steve Bassett for crying out. Today, oh no, the we... Twitter link will be below too. I'll go. Oh, oh, oh. All right, man. You're the dude. Absolutely. Yeah. Today we are cautiously optimistic about the limited progress being made by Aero, and we support the considerable efforts of the Aero director, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, to meet congressional intent. Thank you for your attention to these important matters signed. Mark Warner and Marco Rubio, one Democrat, one Republican, both of whom who played key roles in formulating that legislation. Okay. Gillibrand could have been attached to that, but she is not the chair or the ranking member of the Senate Intel Committee. And lastly, before, as to end this segment, right, I'll repeat... I'd be willing to put some money down with given the appropriate odds. The next hearing, that's an actual hearing. The, what we've had now are not hearings. They are briefings. Moultrie, Bray, Kirkpatrick sat down to give a briefing to some members of Congress. They did not take an oath. It was not the hearings that we're talking about. The next hearing will be with witnesses. The first one will be witnesses. They will be mind-blowing. They will provide mind-blowing testimony. Those hearings will be watched by untold millions of people. They will be broadcast live, and that will be almost certainly before the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence of the United States Senate. That's all for today. Let's uh, see where things go.
0: All right. Thank you, Steve. It was an absolute pleasure, and I look forward to speaking with you on the next episode. Very good. If you enjoyed this video, please click on like, subscribe, and the notification button so that you're alerted anytime I post something new.